everyone, and welcome back to True Crime Tea. As usual, I'm your host, Angela Nicole Chu, and it is time for episode two. But first, I just want to say thank you to all of the positive response that you've given True Crime Tea after just one episode. I saw so many people sharing and retweeting my posts on Facebook and Twitter. There were also so many likes on my Instagram posts. I just can't believe it. And this is with the integration for iTunes not coming through until late last week and that integration still pending on Google Play. So hopefully we'll get Google Play up and running this week. But again, thank you guys so much for listening on Spotify and SoundCloud and Lipson and, you know, over the weekend for iTunes. Thank you guys so much. I did have one five-star review rolling last week on iTunes, so thanks to listener Suzuki Takahashi. Uh, Suzuki's review says, So many true crime podcasts feature a plethora of hosts that just banter back and forth with trivial stuff instead of the actual facts of the case. This host that's me, is to the point and reports on the case in a friendly demeanor, making it easy to follow. Good job. So thank you so much for that review, Suzuki. I do enjoy listening to a lot of the banter podcasts, but I agree there are times where, you know, 10 minutes have gone by and you've just been hearing about their lunch instead of the actual facts of the case or the synopsis of the television show or whatever the topic at hand is. So I understand completely how a one host straight to the point kind of layout can really help you out with following a true crime story. So again, thank you, Suzuki. For anyone else listening on iTunes, be sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. It gets true crime tea higher in the search list so that our army of teas will grow. I'm, I'm going to have to think of a cool name for you listeners. I'll, um, I'll get on that for our next podcast. So episode three, I'll have a name for you guys. But for now, let's focus on this podcast, episode two. So today, um, hang on, let me, let me switch the music to something more appropriate. There. So today we're going to get into a very recent true crime story. So I know I mentioned in last week's episode about Elisa Lamb, about how one of the most chilling parts of her story was that it was recent. It's a five years old case. Well, today we're getting into a case that happened less than one year ago. Yes, we are just mere weeks from the one week anniversary of this case. So today we're going to learn all about... Kanika Jenkins. So this case is very polarizing. Whereas the case of Elisa Lamb was merely a concern of what happened in the elevator, the Kanika Jenkins case revolves around a myriad of circumstances and there's a lot of heated discussion and thoughts in regards to that case. Furthermore, the story stuck with me because I've actually stayed in the location where everything went down. So in May 2017, I stayed at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Rosemont, Illinois for a few days. I was there for a conference with several friends. And when I saw this story come up on the news a few months later, it just added that extra sense of, you know, unease to it. Like this is somewhere I've 
in. I can, you know, I recognize things on the news, I can visualize things, so in a way it made the situation a lot more personal than just having it occur somewhere that's mostly unknown to me. Just somewhere I know where it is on a map and that's about it. It was weird knowing that I had been in this location before. But, you know, let's just go ahead and hop right into this. We've got a lot to cover and, you know, it gets kind of tricky. So, Kanika Martin, also known as Kanika Jenkins, was born on May 27, 1998 in Chicago, Illinois. She had a relatively normal upbringing. She graduated from Voice Academy High School in 2016, and Voice has one of the highest graduation percentages in the area, so Kanika was a very smart and talented girl. She continued living in Chicago's West Side after her graduation with her mother, Teresa Martin, and her sister, Lenore Harris. And, you know, they had a pretty standard family relationship. You know, Kanika loved her sister, Lenore. She got along great with her mother, Teresa. You know, she loved just hanging out with friends. And as long as Teresa knew, you know, where she was or what she was up to in case of an emergency, she didn't mind Kanika going pretty much anywhere. So, you know, this was a pretty standard relationship for a 19-year-old girl, and there weren't any issues between Kanika, Teresa, and Lenore. But, you know, we, we've all been there. We've all been in that teenage stage. And if you haven't been, if you're, you know, still, let's say 13 or so, you'll get to that older stage where sometimes you just feel like you have to hide things for your parents from one reason or another. And Kanika definitely got into one of those spots. So on September 9th, 2017, Kanika Jenkins left her home around 11.30 p.m. Uh, she told Teresa that she loved her and that she was just going bowling with friends. So according to Teresa, she thought nothing of this. Now, I'm not versed in Chicago's weekend life scene. Uh, this happened on a Friday night, but to me, this should have set off an immediate red flag that something wasn't right. Bowling is an odd activity to do this late at night, at least to me. If Kanika was leaving her home at 11.30 p.m., she likely would not have reached her destination until midnight or later. So, I don't know if any bowling alleys in my city of Louisville, Kentucky that, you know, have bowling going on as the really popping thing at midnight. Again, maybe it's different in Chicago, but Teresa felt this was normal. She said, okay and she sent Kanika on her way. But as you guys can probably tell, uh, in reality, Kanika wasn't going bowling. She was going to a hotel party with some friends. So the hotel party went as expected from what you would expect from a hotel party full of teenagers. There was alcohol, there's loud music, there's dancing, there's drug use, at least marijuana, I'm not sure if anything else was there. Um, and there were teenagers live streaming the events of the party onto their social media pages. Um, this is really important uh, later on, so keep that in mind, they were doing live streams. So Kanika appeared on a few of these live stream videos 
where she was seen by multiple viewers as these videos were going on, so she was definitely at this party. And it wasn't bowling, but it was still a fun party with a bunch of teenagers and friends where, you know, nothing really seemed amiss. Kanika even called her sister Lenore at around 1.30 a.m. just to chat. She was in good spirit. She was having fun with friends. The call was short, but it left Lenore no reason to worry. Everything just seemed normal for Kanika. But then things changed. So at 4 a.m., nearly five hours after Kanika Jenkins had left her home and nearly three hours since she spoke to her sister Lenore over the phone, Teresa Martin received a phone call. Two of Kanika's friends, Monifa Shelton and Irene Roberts, were on the other end of the line and they admitted that they were not at a bowling party after all, but rather they were at a hotel party at the Crown Plaza in Rosemont, Illinois. Uh, Rosemont is a suburb of Chicago, so they weren't that far away from their normal home. Um, but the issue was that Kanika was nowhere to be found. Uh, both Monifa and Irene had searched the hotel, but it was just as though Kanika had simply poof, disappeared into thin air. So, of course, Teresa Martin tried calling her daughter, couldn't get a hold of her, and uh, she arrived at the Crown Plaza in Rosemont within the hour to help look for Kanika. Um, after she couldn't find any evidence of where her daughter was either, Teresa approached the front desk and she asked to take a look at the surveillance tape to determine where her daughter could be or to at least have staff look at the surveillance tapes for her. But it was then that Teresa and Kanika's friends were informed that a missing persons report would have to be filed before anyone could legally view the surveillance tape. So they had to get that missing persons report first. So, you know, as it would happen for any parent, panic started rushing through Teresa Martin, but so did a hint of suspicion. So the two girls who had called her Monifa and Irene, they had Kanika's cell phone in their possession. And when Teresa arrived at the hotel, they had also been sitting in Kanika's car. So of course, Teresa asked them about this and Monifa and Irene told her that Kanika was last seen on the ninth floor of the Crown Plaza Hotel where the party had been happening. And they also told Teresa that they were preparing to leave the party with Kanika but on the way to the elevator, Kanika had realized she'd left her cell phone and her car keys back in the hotel party room. And they also admitted to Teresa that Kanika had been heavily drinking through the night. She wasn't able to walk very well. And she asked her friends if they could return to the room for her and grab her forgotten possessions, the cell phone and the car keys. So Monifa and Irene agreed to do this and they left Kanika alone in the hall while they returned to the party room. But when they came back, that's when they noticed Kanika was gone. So she had disappeared while they had gone back to the room to get the keys. 
So Teresa went to the Chicago Police Department to file a missing persons report, and uh, Chicago PD informed Kanika's family and friends that a reasonable amount of time needed to pass before a missing persons report could be filed. Uh, they said, you know, Kanika could have simply run away, or, you know, in her intoxicated state, another friend could have offered her a ride home, and she took that ride home, and with her not having the possession of her cell phone, there was no way to get in touch with her to see that so they didn't want to have a missing persons report filed and in reality this girl was just napping on a friend's couch so they said some time needs to pass before we can file the missing persons report uh teresa pushed the issue saying you know this isn't my daughter i know something's happened to her but nothing could be done they just had to wait it out so the missing persons report was finally filed late Saturday morning, which was several hours after Kamika had last been seen. But with that police report, they now could search more of the hotel and also the surveillance footage. So a search of the Crown Plaza commenced at around 1.15 p.m. Uh, Kanika's family, friends, and staff all thoroughly searched the hotel as much as they legally could. So this is an issue that came up in last episode as well with the case of Elisa Lamb um, and her hotel incident with the Cecil Hotel. So since there was no evidence of foul play that had happened um, legally, no one was able to search any occupied hotel rooms of other patrons of the Crown Plaza Hotel. So this search was restricted to the hotel room where the party had taken place and also common areas and staff areas and areas outside. But there was no way to check in anyone's room because that would have been an invasion of privacy without a warrant for just cause. And they did not have just cause to search those hotel rooms. So while people are physically on foot searching, uh, the police start combing through the surveillance footage and they get their first sighting of Kanika at 3.20 a.m. from that morning. So this is, you know, 40 minutes before her friends called Teresa Martin and let her know her daughter was missing. And in this footage, Kanika was seen stumbling and staggering around the front desk of the hotel. Um, and this confirmed her friend's statements that she was very intoxicated when she went missing, when she got lost. She was definitely intoxicated in this footage. So after combing the rest of the hotel, uh, staff began to search in parts of the hotel that were under construction. That was really all that was left to search other than the private patron rooms. So they went down to the basement, um, which was, you know, currently under construction, and there was a little kitchen area in the basement. So a staff member was looking over this kitchen for any signs that Kanika had been down there, and this included taking a look at the freezer. Now, this freezer, since the area was under construction, did not have any food or beverage inside of it, but it was still set to be the standard temperature needed for a freezer to function, so it was cold. And when the staff member went into this freezer, he found a cold, stiff body of an unconscious woman. So this woman, her hair was wet, 
parts of it were, you know, kind of icy and crunchy or they had started to freeze. Um, one of her shoes was laying beside her. Her clothes were a little ruffled. They were kind of pulled up some and no signs of life could be detected. So this was at 12.48 a.m. on September 10th. 2017 that the discovery was made of 19 year old Kamika Jenkins dead in the Crown Plaza Hotel's freezer. So more surveillance footage was quickly uncovered uh, showing Kanika stumbling through the hallways of the Crown Plaza shortly before her disappearance. So this goes along with the 3.20 a.m. footage of her being by the front desk. So one of the videos they found showed Kanika Jenkins stumbling through the kitchen in the construction area. Um, in this footage, she kind of walks, almost waddles to the back of the kitchen towards where the freezer is located. She goes through this little archway of a door and turns the corner, and that's all you can see from the camera footage. So there's not another camera angle from inside to show her physically walk into the freezer and get stuck, um, but that is believed to be what happened. All that's left after she turns the corner is to go into the freezer. So Kanika's body was removed by a medical examiner so that a proper autopsy could be performed, and the Chicago PD announced that the preliminary cause of death looked to be accidental from Kanika being intoxicated and wandering into the freezer alone and being able to escape. And as a result of that, she froze to death in, you know, the nearly 24 hours length of time that she was missing. So as a result, both Teresa Martin and Lenora Harris were very distraught and also very angry. Um, Teresa had an interview with the Chicago Tribune shortly after Kanika was found, and she stated, if they had taken me seriously and checked for my daughter right away, they could have found her much sooner and she still might be alive. Uh, Kanika's sister Lenore also had issues with the police department's initial analysis. She said, freezer doors are heavy. I've worked in a kitchen before. There's no way if she's that drunk. They said she was stumbling so she wouldn't have any strength. That's my baby sister in there. How can I live my life knowing I'll never see her again? So, you know, Teresa is feeling that, you know, if instead of having to wait and file that missing persons report, they had been able just to jump on it and start looking, they could have found her that much sooner and she might have still been alive. And Lenore's just not believing the story that she got in the freezer by herself. So there is an autopsy conducted later that day on September 10th, 2017, which is the date that Kanika Jenkins' body was found, and they failed to determine an official cause of death. Uh, the medical examiner's office announced they needed to wait for toxicology results and also for further investigation by the Chicago Police Department in order to make a final determination on what caused Kanika's death. And in the meantime, uh, the social media accounts of several of Kanika Jenkins' friends began to buzz that something incredibly sinister was afoot. Uh, many people began to accuse Monifa Shelton and Irene Roberts, the two friends who had contacted Teresa Martin about Kanika's disappearance, of setting Kanika up the night of the party. But 
how exactly would they have set her up? Well, find out that and more after these words from our sponsors. Hey guys, would you like a chance to earn between $16 and $22 an hour while working from home? Do you want an opportunity that's easy and fun to do that's not a scam? Well, look no further than VIP Kid. VIP Kid is an online Chinese education firm that offers an American elementary school educational experience to Chinese students between the ages of 4 and 12. VIP Kid was founded in 2013 by Cindy Mi and it is headquarters in Beijing, China. Luckily for all of you True Crime Tea fans, you can teach with VIP Kid right from your own home. No moving to China! I have been an ESL teacher for VIP Kid since October 2017 and it is the absolute best. I honestly get to choose my own schedule and work around any of my trips and my 9 to 5 and I get to teach wonderful students the basics of English through pre-made slides and games. So there's no making my own slides, I just get to hop into my desk and go. VIP Kid has over 6,000 ESL teachers and more than 500,000 students and they are looking to expand outside of China to other areas like Korea and India and that means they need more teachers. To get started with VIP Kid, go to bit.ly slash Again, that's bit.ly slash V-I-P-K-I-D-C-H-U to sign up. This will expedite your application process and it'll lead to you being a fully certified ESL teacher with VIP Kid in no time. Using my promo code also lists me as your mentor so I can reach out and email you and help you with the interview process at any time. So again, you can earn $16 to $22 an hour legitimately and funly by going to bit.ly slash VIPKidChew. Online shopping is the best, right? Well, what if you could earn money back just from doing your normal shopping? No fine print, no gimmicks, no fees. I wouldn't do that to you guys. Just cold, hard cash. Introducing Ebates. Ebates is a cashback website headquartered in San Francisco, California. The premise is simple. Sign up for Ebates. Make purchases from popular retailers like Amazon, Target, Walmart, Kohl's, and more, and earn money back. It's really that simple. I bought a new lawnmower this past June from Walmart. I spent $130 on the lawnmower, but I earned $15 back for doing it, and that $13 went straight into my PayPal account. I've been using Ebates for about a year, and I love it. It's so easy, it works, and it's not a scam. If you're going to be doing shopping in a physical store, you can still use Ebates as well. Just use the Ebates app to link your credit or debit card to the app itself, then select the store name that you're currently shopping in, and when you check out using that credit or debit card, the points will still automatically be transferred onto your Ebates account. Your account is paid out at the end of each month, so you'll get a little something special from PayPal each month. To sign up for Ebates, go to bit.ly slash ebatesChew. Again, that's bit.ly slash e-b-a-t-e-s 
S-C-H-U. When you sign up using that special link, you get an instant $10 credit that can be spent with any online retailer. So again, that's bit.ly slash ebatesChew. Start earning that moolah today. So welcome back everyone. So when we last left off, we learned that suspicion was beginning to fall on Monifa Shelton and Irene Roberts, who were the two girls that were in possession of Kanika's car and cell phone when Teresa Martin, Kanika's mother, was alerted to her disappearance. So Monifa Shelton was born September 15th, 1998, and she was also a resident of Chicago, Illinois. She was also Kanika Jenkins' best friend since elementary school. So both Monifa and Kanika's Facebook and Instagram accounts were flooded with photos and selfies of the girls together, all from the past few years. They were posing in various outfits, they were using the built-in selfie features that everyone loves, and, you know, just looking at it, they seemed super close, like two peas in a pod. But, shockingly, the social media world began to quickly turn on Monifa. So many of Kanika Jenkins' friends began to accuse Monifa Shelton of setting Kanika up for death with the going rate of $200. Uh, their theory was after receiving the money, Monifa Shelton then gave Kanika Jenkins to whoever that highest bidder had been and left her in their possession to do whatever they wanted with her. So then Kanika was kidnapped, drugged, raped, and murdered by three men. So that's what people were saying about Monifa. Um, another interesting point that came up was that the basement construction area of the Crown Plaza was only accessible by employees with a key to the Crown Plaza's premises. And Monifa Shelton happened to be a kitchen employee at the Crown Plaza, meaning she was one of the employees with access to all of the areas, including the freezer in the basement. So as word spread, you know, within 24 hours, Monifa realized what was going on. She got onto her Instagram account and she started addressing the rumors. She denied any wrongdoing leading to Kanika's death. Um, and she even hinted as the, you know, the hours went by that she was slowly becoming suicidal because of these accusations. She was saying she had just lost her best friend, like her best friend, and now people were blaming her for her best friend's death, so she was a hot mess. The next day, a clickbait site called VibesMedia.com uh, falsely reported that Monifa had committed suicide hours before, and this forced Monifa to once again address this new rumor on Instagram and let her followers know that she was still very much alive and very much upset at both the death of Kanika Jenkins and at the fact that people thought she had, you know, basically sold her friend into slavery or whatever. But suspicion was also falling on Irene Roberts. Now, Irene Roberts was a young single mother from Chicago, Illinois. I was not able to find her birthday, but it's said she's around the same age as Kanika and Monifa, so she's probably born 
you know, 1998 as well, or somewhere around there. Um, and Irene did one of the main live streams that occurred during this hotel party. So this stream just went to her personal Facebook timeline, and this video racked up millions of views within days as people viewed it to try to figure out what had happened. Um, as of now, the video has been taken down, but you can still find it all over the internet like on YouTube and everything else if you want to take a look but in this video Irene is seen smoking marijuana listening to music and just partying with her friends um, and she can also be heard directing people to come to room number 926 which is the location of that hotel party in the Crown Hotel and Kanika Jenkins is also seen in this footage in Irene Roberts livestream so this was one of the last times that Kanika Jenkins was spotted alive and this video holds potentially a lot of clues as to what happened that night. So the first thing people noticed is towards the end of the video, a girl can be heard yelling for help off screen. So people immediately start to think, is that Kanika? Is that her yelling? So then they started to focus on the reflection of Irene's sunglasses. So even though it's at nighttime, and it's indoors, it's in that hotel room. Irene is wearing these big, giant sunglasses. I feel like they have a red tint, just thinking off the top of my head. But she's wearing these giant sunglasses as she's speaking to the camera in her live stream. And party attendees could be seen in the reflection of these glasses. So this helped both viewers and police to further determine who was present in the room and what they were doing just based on matching outfits of people who'd been tagged in pictures on Facebook and Instagram. They could pretty much tell who was who in the reflection of Irene's sunglasses. So at one point in the video, someone hands Irene a cup, uh, presumably of liquor. She asks, did you put any influence in this? So she specifically says influence. Did you put any influence in this? And then she hands the cup back and she refuses to drink it. So after that, a man's voice can be heard asking, you ready? And lay down, where are you going? While others in the room laugh. So that's pretty weird, like, you know, he was saying it kind of forceful in a voice I can't do. Um, but from the reflection in Irene's glasses, shortly after this, two men can be seen on the opposing bed. And one of the men is dressed in red, while the other is dressed in blue. Um, interestingly enough, Kanika Jenkins's legs can be seen in the reflection as well. Um, her legs are hanging halfway off the corner of that opposing bed where the other two men, the man in red and the man in blue, are standing. Um, so shortly thereafter, you can hear Kanika starting to cry. Um, we know it's Kanika because then her voice announces that she is ready to go home. And the only response she gets is that someone turns the music playing in the room up even louder to, you know, pretty much drown her out. And then Irene kind of shifts position and her video continues for several more minutes before she goes off air. Um, so a lot of people 
really suspected what was going on at this party. Uh, this kind of added fuel to the fire. Uh, you could hear people talking about $200, so that's where the $200 idea from Monifa came up. Um, so this is not settling well with Teresa Martin. So, in an effort to learn about what really happened to her daughter, uh, Teresa spoke to both Monifa Shelton and Irene Roberts separately, since they were with Kanika shortly before her disappearance, and since they were in possession of her personal items after her disappearance. However, neither Monifa nor Irene told the same story. Uh, when Teresa went to speak to the girls a second time, both of their stories had changed, but their stories still did not match up. So now there were four different versions of the story going through. So Teresa's suspensions are through the roof at this point, and she announces publicly on a WGN-TV interview I believe that someone in this hotel killed my child. So instead of relying on Instagram interviews the way uh, Monifa was doing, Irene Roberts voluntarily visited the Chicago police station and she gave her statement of what occurred on the night that Kanika Jenkins disappeared. What that statement is, I don't know. I don't know if it was version one or two of what she gave Teresa Martin, but she gave a statement. And um, Andrew Holmes, who was an activist working to solve Kanika's case and to get answers and justice for her and her family, he actually commended Irene on her actions. And he stated publicly after she did this, Best friend, no friend, if you were there, then you're a suspect. If you're happy enough to post pictures and video on Facebook, then you should be happy enough to tell these detectives what happened. Everyone that was in that room should march down to the police department. Somebody in that room knows what happened. So, the hotel party, uh, the purpose of it, was that it was a birthday party for Irene, who had celebrated her birthday on September 5th, so just a few days before this all went down. Um, it was known that Irene and Kanika were not very close to one another. They were acquaintances, they were friendly with one another, but they weren't very close. However, Irene and Monifa were good friends, and remember that Kanika and Monifa were best friends. So, Irene invited Monifa to her birthday party, to this hotel bash, and then Monifa invited Kanika to join in for the evening shenanigans. So not long after Kanika's death was announced, Irene deactivated her Facebook page temporarily. Uh, she reactivated it, you know, shortly thereafter. She left all of her pictures and her live streams up at that time, but she made no mention of Kanika, of her death, of anything like that publicly on her page, uh, whereas Monifa was, you know, pouring her heart out into R.I.P. Kanika, and even to this day, if you go to Monifa's Facebook page, she's got in her bio, you know, R.I.P. Kanika, so she was very publicly mourning. Irene stayed very quiet. She just wanted nothing to do with this. 
So all in all, Chicago PD interviewed 12 people who were featured prominently in the live party videos, including Monifa Shelton and Irene Roberts, and also a few others who had posted videos as well. They also analyzed the footage from 47 of the Crown Plaza Hotel's cameras. And their interviews with others also revealed that the hotel room that had been used for Irene's party had been booked by two people using a stolen identity and a fraudulent credit card. So what what is what a birthday party this turned out to be, Irene. Um, toxicology revealed alcohol in Kanika's system at the time of her death, and her cause of death was officially ruled as hypothermia. So it was decided that she had just frozen to death in the freezer and that was her cause of death. There was no other signs of trauma. There was no sign of abuse. There was no overdose. There was no date rape drugs, anything like that. She had some to drink. She had a 1.12 blood alcohol level, so she was over the legal limit, and then she got stuck in the freezer. So some people, you know, heard this autopsy report and they said, well, what about her shoe being off and what about her clothes being slightly messy? And this is also explained pretty easily. It's an odd but common symptom of hypothermia called paradoxal undressing. So paradoxal undressing occurs during extreme cases of hypothermia shortly before the sufferer passes away. So when you're in a situation of hypothermia, the human body induces what is called vasoconstriction. And this is the reflexive contraction of your blood vessels. So vasoconstriction helps to shut down the loss of heat that you suffer from your extremities during a case of hypothermia to help to conserve that heat. However, when hypothermia continues and does not get better, the muscles necessary for inducing vasoconstriction become exhausted and fail. And what happens at that point is the warm blood rushes from your core to your extremities and that results in a special kind of hot flash. So hypothermia victims who are already disorientated and confused from their condition because it's messing with their mind as well. All of a sudden they're having this hot flash, they feel as though they're burning up, and as a result they start removing some or all of their clothes in a last ditch attempt to cool off. And what's happening is they're just exposing themselves even more to the cold conditions and expediting their heat loss. So Kanika was found with one of her shoes tossed into a corner, her blue jean jacket was open and it was kind of lifted up in the back, uh, but there was again no sign of sexual assault, there weren't any date rape drugs that were uncovered with toxicology, so Kanika's clothing mishaps were ruled a result of paradoxal undressing caused by her extreme hypothermia since she did die in the freezer. So despite the public persecution of Monifa Shelton and Irene Roberts online in the days after Kanika Jenkins died, uh, none of the police department's leads held strongly after the interviews were completed, and with nothing else to go on, the Chicago Police Department closed Kanika Jenkins' case on October 20th, 2017. 
So this case was looked upon as a tragic case of teenage drinking gone terribly wrong. Um, each year in the United States, about 5,000 intoxicated teenagers die in strange ways, and Chicago PD just said this is one of those cases. So we still, you know, almost a year later, we still don't have all the answers to Kanika Jenkins's death. And while most people agree that the case is not nearly as cut and dry as the Chicago PD is making it sound, it's hard to know where to go from here when there isn't any new evidence. So it is possible that Kanika Drinkins was intoxicated. Uh, she left the ninth floor. She wound up in the basement. She found an unlocked door. She pushed open the freezer door and she got stuck inside of it. You know, it's not completely plausible. As, you know, her sister Lenore Harris said, this would be very difficult for her to do with that kind of blood alcohol level. But unfortunately, this case has just grown as cold as the freezer in question. And Kanika Jenkins' family is stuck still just hoping for answers. So, dear listener, I must request, if you're listening to this right now, and you have any information pertaining to Kanika Jenkins' death, please contact the Chicago Police Department immediately. You know, do what you can to help Kanika and her family get the justice and the closure they all deserve. Um, right now, you know, there's kind of weak suspects, but there's not anything to go on, and her case is going to remain closed until something new can arise to open it back up. But, my friends, that is the story of Kanika Jenkins. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 2 of True Crime Tea. Um, after two relatively unsolved, very strange cases, I'll try to give you guys a solved case for next week's episode. How about that? So, be sure to subscribe to this podcast or follow me on SoundCloud or Spotify so that way you won't miss an episode. And again, I'll be back with a brand new episode next Monday, just in time for your morning commute. Uh, make sure to rate and review this podcast as well, all you iTunes listeners. Again, it really helps True Crime Tea to just move up in the search ratings so that way there can be more and more of you listening. And if you guys do want to send me any interesting true crime stories that you think would fit my fancy for the podcast or you just want to say hello or something you can find me at the angie chew on pretty much any social media platform so again that's the angie chew and i am primarily on facebook twitter instagram and twitch and you can also visit my website theangiechew.net for more info but again guys thank you so much for listening in to episode two and i will see you next week for more true crime tea take care